Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Greetings as well to those of you that are worshiping online, an online church, uh, and those that will one day stream this message sometime in the future. So glad that uh, you're with us. Honored to have you. Week four of our First Peter series. If you brought your Bibles, I would uh, encourage you to turn to First Peter. If you have your smart uh, device with you, you could uh, turn or swipe that direction as well. Uh, we'd love for you to follow along that way. The author of these letters that we uh, take a look at in the New Testament oftentimes are like spiritual fathers to these congregations, these local congregations that they were uh, instrumental in helping get started. And every once in a while, these uh, local congregations would gather together for kind of a family meeting because they were very family driven. It kind of felt like a family and, and uh, they didn't have Zoom back then, right? So what they would do is oftentimes write a letter if, if one of those that helped start the church, the leaders in the church, were going were gonna to communicate with them. They would write letters and everyone would gather around and read them. And this letter that we've been looking at, First Peter, although very short in terms of length, uh, it's very power-packed. And Peter really loved the people that he was writing to. These were people he cared deeply about. And in, ver- in uh, chapter 5, verse 12, he tells us the whole reason why that he was writing this particular letter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12, he says this, my purpose in writing to you, or in writing, is to encourage. Someone say encourage. Use a little encouragement to encourage you. And then he also says to assure you. Say assure. Man, we need that every once in a while too, don't we? We want to be assured that, you, that what you want to assure them is that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. And then he gives this challenge, stand firm in this grace. Say stand firm. That sounds like a great letter for us to read, doesn't it? Sounds like an important thing for us to unpack and, and uh, to understand. To encourage somebody is all about putting courage into them. Would you say you need a little courage to live for Jesus in the culture that we live in today? It's true, isn't it? And so that's what we want to talk about. This passage that we're going to look at today, these verses, is extremely challenging and uh, very, very important in this day and age that we live in. You see, our culture today is plagued by anger and fear and victimization. Uh, we're fired up about politics. You seen anybody fired up about politics, maybe? Um, we're scared of viruses and racism, real issues, uh, mass shootings, financial insecurity due to the recession. And when you look around our culture today and you read the things that are out there and listen to the people that are communicating, quite frankly, it feels like our culture can be relatively toxic. Would you agree? We need to do something about that as Christ followers. And that's part of the challenge in in 1 Peter, which is amazing to me. And when you read what he said, you're going to be like, it's like somehow he knew we needed to know this. And that's the way this whole book has been. And there's, the sociologists are describing this phenomenon that's taking place in our culture today with this term tribalism. Have you heard that term before? Well, this is, this, this is what that means. Tribalism is when people increasingly identify with certain political or identity groups and define themselves based on what they are against. Does that sound familiar? This is a large part of our culture today. Um, this Jonathan Haidt, which was a social psychologist, said this, while these social phenomena are not unique to our cultural moment, they are in an extremely heightened state, can I get an amen, and have been particularly exacerbated by social media. I think we all kind of agree. 
<clears throat> excuse me, he continues and he says, social media has created a kind of outrage machine that feeds on and even amplifies these tendencies. We see it happening. So what's happening then is there's the, the result of this is, is a, just a whole bunch of people that are unwilling uh, to, to listen to others that have a different perspective than you might. Or even giving those with whom we disagree some of the basic dignities that used to be almost assumed in our culture. And so we also need to know that this is not that un, unfamiliar to Peter. When he was writing, there was lots of issues sociologically in the area where they were living as well. And there were a lot of pressures, and it was very difficult to live for Jesus in all of this. So against this backdrop that's very similar to the one that you and I are living in, Peter, 2,000 years ago, writes this powerful challenge. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, he says this, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must, someone say must, show sincere love, say sincere love, to each other as brothers and, Christ, and, and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. And, and then Peter describes in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9, this new identity that we have because of what Jesus has done for us. And he says it this way. We looked at it briefly last week. For you are a chosen people. You are, a ro- you are royal priests. You are a holy nation. God's very own possession. Why? Why do those things matter? Listen to what he says. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. That's our job, to show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So the use of these descriptive words that Peter is using when he says chosen and priestly and holy nation go all the way back to the Exodus where the nation of Israel was chosen to live in this way, intended to serve and to care the rest of the world around them. And we too then, uh, kind of brought into the family of God, uh, are called to live this way, caring for, uh, shepherding, and, and helping the people around us to understand the gospel, understand the good news by the way we live, by the things that we say. And the way of living that Peter describes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 is a description, listen carefully, of a flourishing society. That's what he's talking about here. It's very interesting. So the gospel provides an invitation for us to lay aside our justifications for treating people poorly and instead prioritizes showing intentional dignity to the people that are around us. And that's where Peter's going this morning. So Peter gets started in this section with four words. These four words then become the bedrock for the rest of this chapter. And they're also the bedrock that we need to live our lives by. And so when Peter is going to challenge us to live in a different way, he's going to say, I'm going to tell you why before we begin. And so it's these four words that are the foundation that we stand on. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Can you say that with me? For the Lord's sake. Whose sake? The Lord's. Not yours, not mine. This is for the Lord's sake that we do this. And so Peter's heart here is totally countercultural in terms of its focus. It's saying, look, we're not going to live for ourselves. That's not what this is about. I'm not going to be about me and getting mine. What I'm going to do is live differently. I'm going to live for the sake of the Lord. As God's children, we know that our ultimate authority is Jesus. So our lives, therefore, are not dominated by reactive rage. But instead, we're focused on proactive choices to love, to care, and to serve those that are around us. So Peter opens this section of verses with what could be said then is the thesis statement 
for the rest of what we're going to look at today. Must not forget this. It's for the Lord's sake. So because of our decision to step across the line of faith, because we know and own the responsibility to steward the gospel well, we're going to listen. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. And everything that follows is done with this purpose in mind. Now, can I want to stop before I read it? And I want to tell you, I think this is critically important in the day and age that we live in. And the reason for that is that I'm afraid that all too often, if we don't get this right, we are the ones that are responsible for preventing people from truly understanding the gospel because we're pushing them away. It's important. And Peter recognizes and realizes this. And so that's why this challenge then to us lands in a moment, in a season where we really need to hear it as well. And so we need to see what he's saying here. Peter addresses our relationship to governing authorities, and there was a collective moan. But he's got something here that we need to see. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, remember, remember, Peter said this. Doug didn't say it. Peter said this. So you mad, you go talk to Peter. Send him an email, okay? So here's what Peter says. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Whether the king as head of the state or officials, he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. So here's our main thought for the weekend. For the Lord's sake, I submit to all human authority. Now, it's not just Peter that says this. This is a common theme throughout Scripture. So I want to read to you as well what Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It said, he said this. He wrote these words, powerful. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from... Oh, I know. It's so discouraging, isn't it? All authority comes from... Don't forget it, very important. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by the voters. Is that what it says? No, we need to remember this, don't we? Now, I'm not saying it's not important to vote. Trust me, it's very important to vote. But regardless of what the outcome is, we need to know the big guy's got this thing. And he is in control of all of this. The emperor at the time wasn't a very good guy because I know what we're thinking when we read this. We're like, Paul, Peter, geez, man, clearly you didn't live in a day and age like we do, right? Like, what do you know about bad leaders? Isn't that how we feel? Until you go back and think about the history of this time period that Peter and Paul were writing in. Do you remember who the emperor of Rome was? Nero, Nero. Do you know who Nero was? Really great guy, guys. This is what was happening to the Christians when Nero was in charge. He was rolling Christians in tar, tying them to a stake, and burning them alive. What? How could this be written during... You know what else he was doing? He was taking Christians, Christ followers, and hucking them into the floor of the Colosseum for sport as they watched ravaged beasts rip them apart. Nice guy, huh? So does Peter and Paul know a little thing about jacked up leadership? The answer is absolutely yes. Yes, he does. And, and so we ask ourselves then, well, what if the way they lead and act is, is in violation of biblical mandate? Well, we stand up for truth, right? That's what we do. We stand up for truth, but we do it respectably. We see examples of that all throughout Scripture, So submitting to secular authorities is not an acceptance of secular authorities as having ultimate authority. Yeah, I know, there's like two of you. (laughs) Let me say it again. Submitting to secular authorities is not an acceptance of secular authorities as having ultimate authority. 
Right. We know who has ultimate authority, don't we? God does. God does. But we live different for the sake of the Lord. So commentators are quick to identify this distinction. The reason for a believer's submission to secular authorities is because Jesus is Lord, not because these secular authorities are Lord. So theologian and commentator John Eliot wrote it this way, subordination is hardly a call to loyalty. In this context, being subordinate to the emperor and his governors is to respect his authority and show him the honor due all persons, nothing more and nothing less. It's important for us to remember this today, you see, because it is possible to show respect while not agreeing. We need to remember that. So why does Peter challenge us to live this way? It's for the Lord's sake, right? And now he's going to explain that. He's going to unpack that for us in verse 15. For the Lord's sake, he says, It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence these ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Look at verse 17. Respect just the people that vote like you. Oh, oh, no, no, it doesn't say that. It says, just respect the people you like. That's what it says, right? No, that's not what Peter says. This one goes all the way, guys. And he says, respect everyone. Respect everyone. And love the family of believers. And here's the key. You fear God, which means you stand in reverence to him, and you respect the king. Don't get those backwards. We stand in reverence of our God, but we also are respectable in terms of the way we interact with those in authority. So God is the ultimate authority. In this section, God is our ultimate authority. God even works through the imperfect people and the imperfect authorities in our lives. So Peter's challenge to us, it's a, pretty, it's a doozy today, isn't it? This is a doozy. But what he's saying is, there's a major part of Christian maturity that we need to understand and embrace, and that's learning how to relate to authority. And that's why it's important for the Lord's sake that I submit to all human authority. How do we do that? How do we do that? The first thing I would like to say is that we be careful what we say. We be careful what we post about those that God has put in a position of authority. It changes the way we think about it when we, when we understand that is reality. We speak respectfully even if we disagree with those in authority. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. It is okay to disagree. It is 100% okay to disagree. But it is not okay to do that in a way that's not respectable. So we must live respectfully. And then here's the one that's going to get you, because it gets me too. I would love for all of us to pray for those that God has placed in positions of authority. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where we see the people in authority all the time. You can't pick up your phone or watch TV without seeing them. So from now on, I double-dog dare you before you get fired up about something that happens that you're frustrated with. What if you prayed? Because what I've learned is it kind of changes your heart when you pray. And we also know oftentimes we say, well, I guess the least thing I can do is pray, right? And yet it's the single greatest and most powerful thing that we can do. If we want to be culture changers, we pray. That's what we do. So let this be a reminder to do that. It's hard to read these. Uh, now I want you to see these next words that he says. 
in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, you who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. And so it's hard for us to read these words without thinking about the history of our country and our own uh, history of slavery, because we've heard the stories of the evil that, that this was. And I want you to understand in context what, who Peter is writing to in these, in these moments, and this is so important. Peter's entire audience is suffering, all of them. Everyone that he's writing to is being persecuted and treated unfairly and unkindly and even abusively. Uh, during the time that he was writing this, it's important, historians tell us that at minimum, one-fourth of the entire Roman Empire were slaves. Think about that for a second. One-fourth of the population. So in these verses, Peter launches into a description of what it means for a slave to live their lives in obedience to God. Now, you must understand he's not condoning slavery. Rather, he's speaking to the reality of what exists and help us to know how to, to live and acknowledge that reality in a way that honors our God. So this obedience involved honoring and submitting to their master. And the motivation behind all of this was that bedrock that we started with for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake. This posture is taken out of obedience to God, and for the Lord's sake, then, I submit to all human authority. So what if we're, we're mistreated? See, that, that matters, right? What if we're being mistreated? Well, Peter hits that as well. Look at verse 20. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So basically, what Peter is saying here is like, look, man, there's going to be some really tough stuff that we have to endure. And we need to understand that, the, again, the foundation of the way that we walk through these difficulties and these challenges is that we just follow the Lord's lead. And so what, how, did, how did Jesus handle it? What did Jesus do? Fortunately, Peter gives us a quick recap. And he says this in verse 22. Speaking of Jesus, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he, was suffered, when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried all our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls." So Jesus lived a completely sin-free life. <clears throat> he was blameless and in no way deserved what, what came to him. Yet, even with his purity, he suffered terribly physical, emotional, relational pain. He was betrayed and he was then killed on a cross. In Christ's suffering, he secured for us our salvation and provided a way for us to live lives that bring glory to him. And that's what Peter's challenging us to do. And this is how you and I part of, the way you and I make Jesus famous in this world that we live in. Um, we ask ourselves, is it really possible to live this way? Did the people that read what Peter said and were challenged by those words, like we're challenged by those words, actually live the way that Peter taught them to live? Because they were, they were in this horrific, horrific culture that stood in direct opposition of Christ's followers. 
Their lives were literally on the line. Did they do it? Were they able to stand and live respectably? I want to read something to you from history. The epistle of Diognetus was written in 150 AD. Without doing the math, let me tell you this. That's a long time ago, okay? And this non-Christ-following historian wrote these words about the Christ followers that he observed in his culture. And guys, listen, I wish these words could be said of you and me. They marry, as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. Listen to this. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They live for an upside-down kingdom. Think about this. This is a non-Christ-following person writing about the Christ-followers in the early church. There's something that's standing out to the world around them. They're observing the way that they live their lives differently. You see, they were living according to the culture of heaven rather than the culture of this world that we live in. He continues, they love all men and are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in lack of all things, yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet they're very in their very dishonored, they are glorified. They are evil spoken of, yet are justified. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners, and they are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet, listen to this, yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. What? Are you kidding me? These are Christ followers living on mission. You see, their eyes are not on the world around them. They're not living to the authority of this world. They are living for the sake of Jesus. And we wonder, is it possible for us to live today like Peter is? Yes, yes it is. But we make a decision together. For the Lord's sake, I will submit to human authority. You see, their lives were changed by the message of the gospel. Jesus changed their lives. And the way they were living then puts Jesus on display for the rest of the world around them to see that then was producing life change as well. It's what we talk about all the time here at Plum Creek. What sets us up to be culture changers is the way that we live our lives. It's the way that we speak. It's the way that we care. It's the way that we respect those that are in authority over us, even when we don't agree. It's giving to the need. It's honoring God with our sexuality, like he said in this, this writing. It's honoring our wedding beds. It's living selflessly. It's caring about others with a deep compassion, even if others are not living to the same standards as you. It's praying for our political leaders, even the ones that frustrate you. It's being kind and not pejorative on social media. It's putting others as more important than yourself. You see, that's what sets us apart. And I wonder, I wonder if some historian was following you around every day, what would they write about you? What would they say about the things you talk about, the way that you talk to your kids, the way that you talk to your spouse, the way that you encourage your friends, students to live for Jesus? What would they say? Would they be able to write these kinds of things about us? 
You see, God's grace is at work in proper, proper perspective says then I live, I live for the sake of the Lord. And that means I'm going to do everything to put his grace on display, which means, first of all, I'm going to tell you something right now. Doug's still got work to do. Doug is not perfect, not even close. God is at work in me. My recognition that there is work to be done in my life and you recognizing that in your, that's God's grace. God's got it. Let's just follow his lead with a passion. It's understanding with humility that says, I'm a mess, but God's at work. That's God's grace. Don't be ashamed of that. That's God's grace in your life and my life. Knowing because of his work in your life that you can, with great confidence, inspire others to respond to the message of Jesus. That's God's grace. That's why we live this way. When others are compelled to ask what makes you different than those around you, which I pray to God they are, that's God's grace on display. That's why we live this way. So for the Lord's sake, I submit to all human authority. Why? For the sake of the Lord. That's why we do this. Because here's what this is really all about. There are people around you every single day that desperately need to know that God loves them. They need to know that. And like I said earlier, part of my fear is that the way that we're living the things that we're saying, the things that we're posting and reposting are somehow preventing people from truly understanding our Jesus. Because what they say is, I don't like that person. I don't like you. Don't tell me about your Jesus. But you see, just like the early church, if we could learn to live respectively before this world around us, it will stand out as different. They'll say, what's so different? <laughs> it's just the grace of God. <laughs> Listen, I'm a mess. But the grace of God is what's changing me from the inside out. Guys, when we recognize and see the world around us that is in desperate need of our God, we decide, man, I got to do something about it. So it doesn't become about pushing my agenda. For the Lord's sake, I push his agenda. That's what it's about. We live different. And it stands out. And sometimes we forget, don't we, that there are people every day that you come into contact with that need your Jesus. Guys, what are we gonna do about that? 